Michael, I want you to take your Bible, look at First Timothy Wood, chapter six. Mr. Hislop, can you hear me back there? Okay, First Timothy chapter six. Hope you had a wonderful week, Thanksgiving week. We did, and grateful to have uh, much of our family, not all of them in, but a lot of them, and that was a sweet time together. Do you ever uh, spend time with other people and are impacted by a particular person because of a quality that they have in their life? And as you sit there and observe them, you, you just can't put your finger on it. But you say there's something about that person that not only I'm impressed by, but I would like to emulate in my life. I've noticed that, uh, in, especially in recent years, that one of those qualities that I particularly would like most of all in my life are people that are at peace with themselves. And I don't even have to know them. Sometimes you can just walk by a person and look at the countenance on their face. But if you're ever privileged to, to spend time with them, a person like this that is at peace with themselves, that they transform their environment. They, they bring peace with them. They bring joy with them. They even bring love with them. And there's an easiness to them. Uh, these are priceless, priceless treasures. Um, it's not a personality quality. It's a godly trait, as we'll see in just a moment. When you lose someone like this, maybe a family member or a friend or, or someone in the church, it is an incalculable loss because you, you, it's immeasurable because of what they bring to the table. When you are with them, the impact that they have on you, the environment that they bring that transforms everything, not just you, but the people that they are with is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. To be in the presence of a person that is unhurried puts you at ease. But on the other hand, to be in the presence of a hurried person, a frantic person, changes the environment. And it puts everybody on an edge. I want to talk to you about that this morning. I continue the message from last week, and I'll uh, continue that again on in, in the weeks to come, on a contented spirit, a contented spirit. I ask you to turn to First Timothy 6, and I want you to stay there. We're going to look there in a moment, but also if you would turn to Proverbs 30. We'll look there too, First Timothy 6 and Proverbs chapter 30. Part of God's purpose for your life is to get you to a point listen carefully, to where you're fully content in knowing and walking with Him. Now, I hope you caught that. Part of God's purpose, His ultimate purpose in your life, is where you're fully content in knowing Him and walking with Him. It's not the stuff. It's not your circumstances. It's not the way that you feel. But it's in knowing the Lord. It's in walking with Him. And when you get to that place, I believe that you are at the apex of life. 
where there's a contentment just in knowing the Lord. You, you see that in Paul's writing so often in the Bible. And this is a part of what it means to be godly that's often overlooked because it's a passive thing, at least on the surface it appears that way. Because it's not something that you do, but rather it's something that you are. But it reflects the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. You see, contentment and peace provide the the environment and the atmosphere with which you perform your Christian life. And if you do not have the proper context, if you do not have the proper atmosphere of peace... There's always an, an edge to it. In other words, you, you can behave like a Christian. You, you can come to church and you can tithe and you can teach your Sunday school class. And you can say the right words. You can say praise the Lord and really in your heart not praise the Lord. But when you're fully content to walk with the Lord and to know the Lord, it provides an environment in your life. It provides an atmosphere, it provides a spirit, small s, that contextualizes all of your behaviors. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. I'm struggling to explain it, but I'm doing the best that I can. It provides everything a backdrop for the way that you live. And I think that's what that intangible quality of what I'm trying to explain to you is that so many of us miss. But when we're with people like that, we see the same we see the same thing in other people that attend church, that do the same things we do, but there's something different. And I think it's this manner of having a contented spirit because it's the way that they are, it's who they are, not just what they do. My spirit is part of my godliness, not just what I do, but who I am. The spirit who I am, what God has cultivated in my life. Why are some people consistently happy on a regular basis? Uh, They don't get upset very much. They're just steady. And some people consistently miserable. It doesn't take much to rock their boat. They're soon angry, as the Bible uses that expression. They they are, are volatile, if you will. Is there a secret to happiness? Is there a secret... To peace. Well, here in this text, as we look in the Word of God, is the secret to happiness and also, listen to this, to being a carrier of peace. Where that you you don't just become that person, but you, you transform, you carry the atmosphere that sow the seeds of that environment into your children, into other people in your workplace, and even in your local church. Maybe in your life group, you have tables. And when you have a contented spirit and you approach that table, there's somebody that's had a rough week. And uh, and they're blessed by your spirit. It's not just your words. It's the spirit of your words. It's not just uh, the way you perform your ministry. It's the spirit of your ministry. A contented spirit. Notice in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Perhaps you underlined that from last week. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
A contented man is a godly man. You'll notice the first word in the verse is a conjunction. It's a a word that provides a contrast. It's the word but. That means it's contrasting the, the line of thought that it gives in the previous verses. And I taught you that he's telling Timothy, he said, Timothy, as you pastor the people, I want you to understand something, that they've heard some heresy. And the heresy that they have taught is not that godliness is a positive, that contentment is, is a godly tra- trait, but they've been taught that financial means is the way to, to godliness. That if you're godly, you'll have a lot. Notice in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3, he's instructing Timothy as a pastor. He said, Timothy, if, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine, which is according to godliness. What is the doctrine, the teaching, according to godliness? And he says, these people that teach these wrong doctrine, this heresy, they are proud. They know nothing. They think they do. They dote about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Verse 5, and I want you to notice this. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Uh, They're destitute of the truth. They have not the truth. And here's what they ignore. Here's what they're wrong on. Notice the, the next line. Supposing that gain is godliness. This is total contrast to what's in verse 6. They suppose... That a godly man is, is a man or woman that has gain. Now, the word gain there has the idea of, of financial gain, but also of, of any type of gain. Of a gain in popularity, of gain in power. Or, or you have a gain in health. You're in good health. Or you're popular in school. Or anything is going well with you in life. You see, you see and hear these guys on television, on the radio, I talked to you about this last week, but notice what he says there in verse 5, the last line. He says, from such withdraw yourself. Don't listen to these men. Don't associate with these men. Do not follow these men. Second Peter and Jude says they're not even Christians. They're false teachers. They use their words to pull you in and they deceive you. I gave you a scripture last week. They make merchandise of you. You're nothing but a business transaction. You're an ATM machine to them. You send me money and God will bless you. And I've taught you so many times. If they believe that, they'd be sending you money. They don't even abide by their own doctrine. So many things there. Supposing that gain is godliness. Contentment and godliness are different. Contentment leads to godliness. Godliness produces contentment. They're similar. They, they, they're related to each other. Notice in, in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can, bring, we can carry nothing out. You don't see a, a hearse with a U-Haul. I guess some people do just for the fun of it. Did you know that uh, in years past, I don't know if they sort of macrobay, I, I don't know if they still do this. But you could buy you could buy suits at the funeral home. You know, if you didn't have a suit to bury your loved one in, you could buy a suit for, 
from the funeral home. Do you know what, what was distinctive about a suit at the funeral home? It didn't have any pockets. That's true. You know why it didn't have pockets? You're not carrying anything. You brought nothing into this world. You're not carrying anything out. And there's a stewardship. There's a contentment that you have. Notice in your Bible in verse 8 or verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So there's the word contentment and also the word covetousness. They're different. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content rather than coveting. I want all the time rather than I want and I need. It's okay, God has given to me and I'm content with this. Notice in verse 9, how he talks that coveting destroys contentment. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. doesn't say that they are, are rich. Now, he's not just speaking to rich people here. He's speaking to the poor people that want to be rich. They that will be rich. The tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. I want to have things. I want to make more of myself. I want to be more well-known. I want my picture in the yearbook more. Whatever the issue is, godliness and contentment is great gain. I want more gain for myself. I need more for myself. I want to get well physically. Whatever the issue is there. They that will be fill in the blank. They that will be have great gain. Notice in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. doesn't say money. Money is, now I believe money is neutral. Some people believe that money is wrong because the Bible calls money filthy lucre. So they believe the actual money is, I don't believe that personally. Money is a tool. That's all it is, it's a tool. God can use it. But loving money... For what it can do for you, can destroy you. We, we may talk about that later if the Lord leads me to go into these verses. And, and what it does to you when you become a covetous person. You see, when you're covetous, you lose your contentment. When, you're, when you lose your contentment, you lose your joy. You lose your happiness. This environment disappears. And so you're, you're performing the responsibilities and the duties of a Christian. But you have a covetous and a greedy heart. You're not content. And so there's an edginess about you. And rather than sowing the seeds of peace and joy and love with your children and other people you're around, you're doing the things a Christian ought to do, but your spirit that you're carrying is not godly. Because the Bible says, notice in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what great gain is, being a godly man. I ask you to keep your finger there. We'll come back to 1 Timothy 6, I believe. I have time. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. This is a really profound thought here. Of course, a wise man wrote it. Proverbs chapter 30. Look at verse 8. Proverbs 38. Or chapter 30 and verse 8. Sound like I said Proverbs 38. There's only 31 chapters. You'd be looking for a while. Chapter 30 of Proverbs and verse 8. Okay. Notice this. Remove, you may want to mark this verse. This is a powerful verse. 
Here's what he says. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Now watch this. Give me neither poverty. I don't, I don't want to be a pauper. But I don't want riches either. Now, now before I go on, is this your prayer? I can't say this is my prayer all the time. This is the prayer of a wise man. Lord, I don't want to be poor, but I don't want to be rich either. Feed me with food convenient for me. Just give me what I need. Now, it's not just food. It could be anything. Give me what I need. Lord, you know what I need. Give me what I need. Why? Verse 9. Because if I'm full, I'll deny you. Our inclination is the more we have, the less we need God. When I have a full belly, I forget to thank God. When my health is good, I assume it always will be good. When my kids are in line, I assume they'll always be in line. When I never have uh, miscarriages, I assume nobody has them, and so forth. Lest I be full, I deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? But on the other end of the extreme, lest I be poor, I don't have the things I really need, then I'm tempted to steal and take the name of my God in vain. That's a very profound thought. That's a message in and of itself, but I wanted to bring it in and present it to you this morning. And I, and I love the line there in, in verse 8 there when he says, God, give me the things convenient for me. Give me what I need. That's what contentment is. Lord, just give me what I need. You know what I need. Here's the principle of this message in First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Godliness with contentment. Is a great gain. A, a godly man is a contented man. I, I want to encourage you. Uh, soon we'll have all of our sermon messages on uh, on our inter- on, on our uh, web page, but uh, we don't have that as of yet. But soon we will. But if you can get the CD from the message last week, if you weren't here, and listen to that message because I I. I went very deep in this matter a lot deeper than I'm going now and I laid the foundation for the rest of what I'm going to give you there are three applications of this truth that a godly man is a contented man and I just want to give you one thought this morning and Lord willing I'll finish this up in the following weeks what is a a, a contented man look like who is a contented man let me just give you this thought this morning first of all a contented man is a rich man. And now that may strike you strange, but it's true. Stay with me. A contented man is a rich man. You see, a contented person has more than a person that is wealthy. Did you hear me? When you're contented, you have more than the richest man in the room, unless he's contented. Then you both have the same. Notice in your Bible again in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. That has the idea of wealth. If you're a contented person, you're a godly man or woman, and you're contented, uh, God has given you sufficient things that you need. I'm not talking the things that, that you feel like you need, but things that He feels like you need. The Bible says you're rich, you have all that you need from the, the hand of God then you're wealthy. 
Now I want you to notice the verse again. Look at it, First Timothy 6, 6. I'm going to read it wrong. But godliness with contentment is gain. Notice it says great gain. It's great gain. It's great wealth. You see, a, a contented man, a contented person, a contented woman, a contented teenager is a wealthy teenager. You have great wealth. I wonder this morning if I had someone that came in here or advertised that uh, this coming week we're going to have someone and he's going to speak to you about the, the legitimate possibility of your having great wealth. And it's a legitimate offer. Would you be interested? Well, of course you would. In fact, we'd have more people than we would this morning because I know the human heart. I'm speaking this morning about something that's better, that's better, and I I emphasized that word last week, that's better than a financial windfall, because this is great gain. You see, money is gain, but contentment is great gain. What good is having a lot of money if you're not content? But the Bible says a contented person is a rich person. They have all that they need. A person who is rich doesn't need anything else. His needs are met. And when he looks at that and he feels that way, he feels like, okay, I'm good. A rabbinical saying that is something that Jewish rabbis used to say, here's what they would say. Who is rich? He that is contented with his lot. His lot in life. Who is rich? He that is contented with his lot. Are you contented with your, with your lot in life? That's, that's a difficult question. That's why God put it as one of the Ten Commandments. None of us are all the time. Recently I was driving. In fact, what drove me to this text was for me, not for you. Last month I was by myself in the car and, and my, my spirit was very discontented with some some physical things I was going through. And I was praying, not talking out loud, but in my spirit to the Lord, very agitated, just miserable, and just going through some stuff physically. And just pleading with the Lord, complaining to God. And uh, I suppose it was the Spirit of God that spoke to me. He said, Rick, you're not content. And I said, Lord, you're right, I'm not. I'm very discontent. I don't like this. I'm I'm constantly hounded. I'm constantly reminded of this. And I really dislike it. And I tell you to fix it a lot. And, uh, you know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul prayed and prayed and prayed that God would deliver him of his sword in the flesh, He said, the grace of God is, what's the next word? Sufficient. Study the word sufficient. You know what it means? It's, it's, you'll be contented with the sufficiency of God's grace. God's grace will make you content. Sometimes the problem won't change, but you will change. And so I began to go back in 1 Timothy 6 and just read it for myself. And I told the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I am discontent. And you may never change my you may never change my circumstances, uh, 
And that's okay if you'll change me and help me help me be content instead of being distressed. I don't want to bring I don't want to bring this this environment into my family and infect my wife. Even though my behaviors are proper in the Christian life, I may read my Bible, I may pray and go to church, I may do these things that are correct. But if godliness is a spirit, it's a disposition, not just a behavior. There are behaviors, yes. But if my disposition is not one of contentment, then then I'm not going to be able to sow seeds of peace and joy and love to the people I love the most, even you. And I don't I don't want I don't want that. And so I began to correct some things. Uh, in my heart and begin to repent. And that's why I'm, I'm preaching to you what the Lord has preached to me. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, to the discontented man, no chair is easy. That's really a powerful truth. It's not in the Bible, but it's a great truth. To the discontented man, no chair is easy. You, you have a comfortable chair. You can have a comfortable lot in life. But if you're discontented, the car is not nice. If you're discontented, the house is not nice. If you're discontented, your your spouse is not a good spouse. If you're discontented, your parents are not good parents. If you're discontented, it's not a good church. If you're discontented, the the pastor is not happy with the church. Uh, Mr. Franklin is right to the discontented man. No, no, I'll change the word here. No circumstance is easy. Even the best of circumstances. Adversity has a way of of clearing our vision. It's showing us what's really, really important. And helping us to become content. Sometimes I... I, uh, I become very, very thoughtful. By that I mean not generous and kind as much as just just have these these deep thoughts. And I'm, I may write some of them on Facebook, not all of them. But if I think they'll help people, sometimes I'll put them out there and so forth. And I was listening to Pandora a couple of months ago and a song came on that, that I really liked. And I began to listen to the words and I thought that is a powerful song. And I begin to think about the meaning of the song. That's, that's the way that I am. My personality is oriented that way. I just don't listen. Well, that was good. And then go to something. I, I kind of marinate in it. And I listened to that song. And I just started thinking about it for a while. Kind of applied it to my life. And thought, yeah. And it you know, connected this to that and that. <clears throat> then later that night, I just sit down. And I just started writing stuff. And then uh, I, was, I listened to the song earlier today. It made me think about my family. It made me think about my friends and and how good God has been to me and how that I want to squeeze all that I can in the present because the present is precious. And if I don't take care of the present, I'm not going to enjoy the future. And and some things along that line. I put it up on Facebook. A lady in our former church in Virginia... uh, the next day, I noticed that she had, she had used that. She had shared that 
which, which was fine, you know. About uh, two months later, she died. I called the pastor. I said, hey, what happened? What happened to this lady? He said, well, she had cancer. And I didn't know that. She was a friend of mine. And uh, now I know why she, she, she copied and she shared it. I want to read the words of the song to you because she was dying when she, when she heard that song. And when I, when I posted it, I intentionally put the words so you wouldn't just hear the catchy tune, but you would hear the words. Listen to these words. Think about these words. Because here's why I'm reading these words. Because when you, when you think about this, it, it forces you to say, hey, all I have is today. I mean, I have tomorrow. So I better be content with what I have today. It's a song called One More Day. Some of you know it, but think about the words. Last night, I had a crazy dream. A wish was granted just for me. It could be for anything. I didn't ask for money or a mansion in Malibu. I simply wished for one more day with you. One more day, one more time. One more sunset, maybe I'd be satisfied. But then again, I know what it would do. Leave me wishing still for one more day with you. One more day. First thing I do is pray for time to crawl. I'd unplug the telephone and keep the TV off. I'd hold you every second. Say a million I love yous. That's what I'd do with one more day with you. One more day, one more time, one more sunset. Maybe I'd be satisfied. But then again, I know what it would do. Leave me wishing still for one more day with you. One more day. That also speaks of eternity in heaven because we'll have that continuous day. What a day that will be. But here's this precious lady that, that as she was dying in, the, in her final month of, of living, she saw those words and realized, my days are coming to an end and this is my heart's cry. And there's a contentment in my heart just to have a day. We don't think in those terms. We don't think about, I sure do enjoy today. Well, I got a lot to do this week. I've got, I've got to take care of this. And we don't think about this moment. I told you last week my college roommate died uh, in the middle of last week. They put him in hospice, and, and he was a year younger than I. And... Uh, I wrote his uh, sister a note and his brother-in-law and shared some things. Went back and I looked at his Facebook. It's interesting when people are dying, what they write. It was filled with scriptures and so forth. I found this three and a half months before he died. Here's what he put. He put my bucket list. And he had one, two, three, four, five. Five, it was just an empty line. Four, empty line. Three, empty line. Two, there was nothing. One, and I'm quoting, surround myself with people I love and who love me. When you're facing eternity and you know you are, you have a chance to kind of fix these things or, or think about them. It changes you. 
And one of the things that changes you is your contentment. Now, here's what I'm propositioning you with today. If it's going to change you then, why not let it change you now? Why wait? Why not have that, that thoughtful approach that helps you, helps change your spirit, the environment that you bring to your kitchen table? that you bring to your Sunday school class, that you bring to work, that you bring in the car when you ride with your family. This unhurried, this unhurriedness, rather than being frantic and pushing people and trying to accomplish things. I I know some goals are important. Okay, there's a balance to this. But boy, if you're going to be in balance somewhere, you need to be in balance. What I'm preaching about this morning, you know, nobody ever said on their deathbed, Boy, I wish I'd spent more time at work. Somebody said, live for the people that are going to come to your funeral. And that's your family. Those are your friends. Okay? Now, your boss may come, but a lot of those times, oh, i got a lot to do. Just send some flowers, you know? When you realize that life is short and time is precious and your relationships with people are what counts... And you begin to put those things in your calendar, your schedule reflects that you're a rich person. You're a rich person. Now, you may not have as much money as other people, but you become a happy person because you realize that, hey, I love people. and People love me. And I'm at great peace because I'm, I'm making these investments into people. Here's the equation in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the lie of the devil. To be happy, I need more. I'm, I'm not going to be happy unless I get more. Madison Avenue, the, the advertisers, they come at us. And their number one MO is to create discontentment. Number one MO. They frame everything to appeal to this fallen nature of covetousness in our heart. New, improved, better. If you don't have this, you're going to get left out. Buy this and you'll get happy. And so we, we buy the latest smartphone when our old one still works. We, we get new cars when our old one still works. We get a new house when our, our former one still is a nice home. Well, we buy things we don't need because of what they promise, but it's an empty promise. Because once you get that house and once you get that phone, once you get that car, the same covetousness because you don't have content. You're going to have to have another one. Don't you understand that? I'm not trying to rebuke you this morning. I'm trying to help you to see something. It's the, same, it's the same disease of sin, and it's infectious. When you become a Christian, you discover that Jesus is all that you need. And the longer you walk with him, the deeper your contentment grows. The Lord Jesus Christ is a secret to contentment. It's about him. It's not my house. It's not my car. It's not the kind of phone that I have. It's not whether, you know, I have a prominent place in the yearbook. It's not who my friends are. It's not if people know my name. It's not the issue. 
All of that stuff, listen, that stuff is, is rooted in greed and covetousness. It, and it, it, it destroys this atmosphere of peace, this atmosphere of contentment that you desperately need for your own self. But that you also need so that you can sow seeds wherever you're at. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul said, not that I speak in respect of want or lack. I have the things I need. And I like this is encouraging to me. He said, I had to learn this. I'm still learning it. For I have learned in whatsoever state, whatsoever condition, whatsoever circumstance I am, therewith, and in that state, to be content, to be satisfied. What a testimony. I'm learning this. It's not something that I got saved and I had. I had to learn this, this satisfaction, this happiness, this peace, that, that, that this spouse that irritates me sometimes is, is a gift of God. That these parents, that sometimes I don't understand that they're gifts of God. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know both extremes. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound. I know how to have a lot. I know how to suffer need. And then this verse, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It is my union with Jesus Christ, which enables me to be content. That's what Philippians 4.13 is talking about. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me the strength to be grateful and to be happy and to be content in circumstances that are less than pleasant. Contentment is a gift of God. You get to know God better, you increase in contentment. But your contentment is your secret to happiness. And you are a rich person If you're a content person, a contented spirit is worth more than money. Are you listening? The Bible says with godliness, with contentment is great gain. Great gain. The richest person in here. Listen, if you don't have contentment, you're not wealthy. But the poorest person in here, if you have contentment, you have more value in terms of wealth than any person in the building. Money cannot buy peace. It cannot buy joy. It cannot buy happiness. Warren Wiersbe wrote, you can buy sleep, but you can't buy rest. We see people that have a lot, and we assume that they're happy. Well, they may be happy, and they may be content, but it's not because they have a lot. You can see somebody that doesn't have a lot, and they're not happy, but it's not because they don't have a lot. It's because they're covetous. Is because they lack contentment. How foolish to spend my life seeking something that will not bring satisfaction to my heart. You know, when I was complaining to the Lord about some physical problems, I know a lot of people that are healthy that aren't content. And I think the Heavenly Father, the kind, benevolent Heavenly Father says, Son, so you think if I gave you what you wanted, that that would make you happy? You have to think these things through. Contentment, money, power, fame, 
These things don't give me love, peace, and joy. Only Jesus does that. Only he can do that. Let me give you some scripture references here as we close. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. This is a powerful verse, series of verses. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 and following. Watch this. He that loveth silver, not he that hath silver. Pay attention. And you may have it, but you may not have it. It doesn't say he that hath silver. He that loveth silver. He that loves money shall not be satisfied with money or silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity, one of the key words in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is empty. It's foolishness. There's nothing there. Once you reach that pinnacle, it's empty. You're going to get the bonus. You can become a millionaire. There's nothing there. I've had friends that said, I'm going to be a millionaire by a certain age. And they're not happy. When goods, watch this, when goods increase, pay attention, they are increased that eat them. It just increases your appetite for more. It doesn't satisfy you, it just increases your appetite for more. What good is there to the owners thereof? Saving the beholding of them with their eyes. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. It's the work, it's the work that that brings the reward. Whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Pay attention to that last line. Abundance will not allow you to sleep because you're worried. You're so worried about what if I lose? What if the stock market goes down? What if this? What if that? You can't rest. There's no rest. Now the answer is not just to say take a vow of poverty. I'm not teaching that. I'm just saying you better be content if the stock market does, does go down. If you did lose, you know, 25, 50% of your savings a while back when the stock market crashed, a lot of my friends did, you better learn to be content and not, that, not allow that to just kill you for, for years and hurt your family. One man said, money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Notice these warnings against coveting. Psalm 62 and verse 10. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. It's easy to set our heart upon things as they grow. As as our circumstances get better, if you will. Oh boy, I'm successful now. I'm, I'm living the good life now. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Labor not to be rich. Now that says a lot right there. Again, the reward is in the labor. You better just enjoy your work. Enjoy what you do. You need to make a living. The Bible teaches that too. But don't make it your goal to be rich. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. And then he just uses logic here. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. Don't don't make your security something that can change. Your health can change. Relationships can change. Money can change. God will never change. 
Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Put them up in heaven. Don't don't make idols down here to yourself. Life is not about yourself. Because if if you build things around yourself down here, moth will eat them. Rust will corrupt them. Thieves will steal them. They'll break through. All of these things are real. Some of them, they've happened to all of us. Your cars corrupt. You know, they require maintenance. Moths will eat your clothes. Silverfish. Thieves can break in your home, no matter what kind of security systems you use. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, take heed and beware. He warns here of covetousness. You better be careful of coveting. For your life consists not in the abundance of things which he possess. Life is not about stuff and, and, and that, that you can have bigger and better. That's not what life is about. And these people, I told you, that, that, that died in their closing months of life, they realized that. Life is about relationships, your relationship with God, relationship with people. Psalm 119, verses 36 and 37, the writer prayed, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, unto your word, God, and not to covetousness. Don't let my heart veer me away from your will, away from your word, Lord. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, these empty things that lead, that covetousness leads me to. Quicken thou me in thy way. 1 John 2, 15 and following, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's the desire to do. The lust of the eyes, that's the desire to have. The pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. If you live your life on, on doing and having and being, and collecting things and being known, and, and making those three things your guide. The Bible said it's not of the Father, but of the world. Because the world passes away. Those things are going to be gone. The lust thereof, the things that drive those things. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. People, listen, the people that do the will of God. They do what God wants them to do. They love the Lord. And they love people. And they organize their life around those two organizing principles. And they invest their lives in those. The Bible says you will abide forever. There's a Japanese proverb that says this. I love this. Even if you sleep in a 1,000 mat house, you can only sleep on one mat. Isn't that simple? Sometimes you read... And I know we had nine people in our house at one time, but, you know, hey, this, this house has three bathrooms. Now, at the risk of being crude, I'm not going to, hey, you can only use one at a time. Now, there is benefit if you have more than one person. Okay, I understand that. But I think we are attracted to these things because, hey, we got multiple options here. Ben Franklin, again, he said this. He said, contentment makes a poor man rich, but discontentment makes a rich man poor. Contentment. Contentment. The spirit of contentment. 
Contentment makes you rich. Are you rich this morning? Are you rich? I read uh, about a king that was suffering from painful disease. So he called the wise men into his court. And uh, he said, I'm suffering. He said, I need you to help me. And the wise men said, the only cure for you is to find a contented man in your kingdom. And take his shirt and wear his shirt night and day and your disease will go away. And so the king called him messengers and sent them throughout the kingdom in search of such a man, a contented man, with severe orders to bring back his shirt because he was suffering. Months passed after a thorough search all through the country of his kingdom. The messengers returned, but without a shirt. The king angrily asked, could you not find a contented man in all of my kingdom? One of the messengers said, yes, king, we did find one, but only found one contented man. The king demanded, then why did you not bring back his shirt? And the wise men, embarrassed, said, king, because the man had no shirt. A contented person is a rich person. And you're content... And your contentment is not found in stuff. It's not found in fame. Your contentment is found in Jesus Christ. And it's found in your investing in people 100% of the time. It's not what you get out of life. It's in your walk with Christ. And your investments in eternal matters. Would you bow your head with me this morning? You've been so attentive.